0: Well, good morning. We are in a time of surrender in our church. We are going through a series which we've entitled simply Surrender. And we've been talking about surrendering various and different areas of our lives to God and and what that entails and what that means and it reminded me, I thought of that little classic book, My Heart, God's Home. You know, for those of you who have read that book, it, it envisions our heart as a home and and we invite God to come into our our family room, should be our, our family relations, and we invite him to come into our our office. You know, which would be our work, our relationship to work. And we invite him to come into our hopes and our, our dreams and our aspirations for the future. And, and we bring him into all those things and we open up all of those areas. And this morning, we're going to be talking about opening up the vault that, that safe that's tucked away in the back of the closet that nobody else knows the combination to. That's right, that's kind of scary, right? I mean, some of you haven't even given your spouse the combination to that safe. But we're gonna talk about that this morning. We're gonna talk about the freedom that comes with opening the vault to God. Your world is pretty fascinated right now and pretty over fascinated with money. If you go out to dinner, out to lunch you're very likely to hear people at the table next to you or the booth next to you talking about the economy, talking about the unemployment rate talking about the prices of gasoline. If you turn on the TV, you can't help but see in the news about $13 trillion deficits and out-of-control government spending. And if you turn on the radio in the car, you can't miss the advertisements on how to get rich by investing in gold. I mean, it's it's all around us. It's it's every place we look, people are talking about money. People are obsessed about money, and it is scary. It's scary. It might surprise you to know that the Bible has a lot to say about money. In fact, there are more than 2,350 verses in the scriptures that have to do with money. It's been estimated that Jesus talked about money at least 15% of everything he ever said was about money. He talked about money more than he talked about love, more than he talked about family, more than he talked about politics, more than he talked about just about any other subject. Jesus talked about money. And so the scriptures have a lot to say about this scary economic world that we find ourselves in. And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. Question, what does God want from you more than anything? And it's not your money. He wants your trust. God wants you to trust him. Who did Jesus commend? Was it the the rich people who gave lots of money to the temple? Or was it the poor woman, the poor widow who gave her last pennies? It was the poor woman that he commended. Who did Jesus commend? Was it the Pharisee who came to the temple and prayed, Lord, I haven't stolen I haven't cheated anyone. I've kept kept all the rules. I fast twice a week. I give 10% of everything I get to the poor. Was it that person or was it the poor tax collector who was over on the corner beating his chest and saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That was the man that Jesus commended, why? Because he didn't trust in all the stuff that he did. He completely trusted in the grace and the mercy of God. God wants our, our trust. He wants you to believe him. Jesus said, he who believes in me will have eternal life. Believe in me is to trust me. And what God wants for us is our trust. And he must have been pretty aware of who we are to understand that probably the most difficult area that we have in trusting him is with our money because he talks about it so much. The scripture is so practical. It is the heart of God that we trust him. You see, the way that we manage our money reveals how much we trust him. You cannot say, I trust God And over here, I cling tightly to my money. I trust it. You have to pick, you have to choose one or the other. And how we deal with money becomes a barometer that just simply illustrates how much we really trust God. You know, at the end of 2008, the elders asked me to teach a uh, adult Sunday school class on money. Uh, you know, if you remember that time, the stock market dropped by 1,000 points in one day. $12 trillion was lost from the global economy, seemingly overnight. Uh, people were in crisis. There were reports of people committing suicide because of lost financial fortunes. And it was a very, very dark and scary time. And the elders thought that if we could bring some light on this, if we could bring some truth, it would really help people in our congregation. So somehow I get to be the money guy, right? So they, uh, they asked me to teach the class. What they didn't know was that I was in crisis myself. I didn't know what was gonna happen with my business. Things were really, really going downhill. I mean, I, my income dropped by 50% and I didn't know where the bottom was. And I was in crisis and I was scared. And so I went to scripture to prepare for this class and I said, you know, I need some truth. Me, I need to get this through my head. And I went to scripture seeking truth in a time of crisis. And may I just say, whatever the crisis is in your life, whatever you're struggling with in your life, the truth of scripture is the answer for it. The scripture is where we find the answers, find the truth to illuminate and and deal with any of these problems. So in preparing for the class, um, I identified in going through scripture three lies about money. And as a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine says, come straight from hell and they smell like smoke. And we're gonna talk about those three lies this morning. So you might wanna take your note your notes out, your sermon notes out of your uh, bulletin there this morning, and grab a pen and uh, try to keep up because we're going to be whizzing through some stuff pretty quickly. Uh, you probably want to take some notes. I might find something that you want to write down. Big lie number one: money will make me happy. It's the first lie about money, and we buy into this lie every day. If only, if I just had that iPad, I would be happy. If I just had that big screen TV in time for the Super Bowl, I would be happy. If I just had that new car, man, that would do it. If I had a bigger house, then I'd be happy. And we buy into this lie all the time. You know, we see ads on TV and and what's in those ads on TV? It's people who are smiling. They're people who are happy. Do they show you people who are like depressed and, and, you know, no happy people because if i just had that car if i just had that stuff that i'm looking at on tv then i'd be like those people i'd be happy and somehow we buy that lie even though we can look around ourselves and we can see very wealthy people who are absolutely miserable we still buy into it you know ecclesiastes 5:10 i love this verse it says whoever loves money never has enough whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Imagine telling your boss, eh, no thanks, I don't need that raise, I'm satisfied with my income. You know, but that's what he's saying. Whoever loves money never has enough. If I have $1,000 in the bank, if I just had 5,000, wow, I would, be, I would be okay, you know, and I get my 5,000, you know, if I just had $20,000, that, that would just do it. You know, that would be security for me. And I get to 20, you know, and it just keeps going. And you do the same thing with your income. If I had, you know, if I'm making $20,000, dollars i mean, if I could just make 30000 I would. that would be easy street. That would solve all of my problems. And I get a raise and I'm making 30000 What do you think? If I just made $50,000, boy, that would be it. Those people that make 50000 they are just living the life. If I could make, the, you know, if I get to 50, if I could just, you know, and it's, It's this thing, whoever loves money never has enough. This idea that money will make me happy. Things will make me happy. If I could just acquire it, it would make me happy. So what's God's truth that he speaks into this lie? In one word, it's contentment. If you look at Philippians 4, 12 and 13. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what is contentment? Simply put, contentment is not wanting more. Okay? You might want to write that one down. Contentment is not wanting more. So the joke around the Massey house is, who's more content? The man with $5 million or the man with five kids? Answer? The man with five children. Why? Because he doesn't want any (laughs) more. And so, you know, when you're out with your friends, when you're, you're out with, the, with your group of friends and, and, you know, one of the other women has this, this big old diamond ring, you know, you want to look at that and you want to turn to your husband and you want to say, I don't want it. You go over to your friend's house, they got a big old plasma TV on the wall and you look at that thing and you say, I don't want it. So we're gonna practice that, okay? I don't want it. With a little bit more belief and enthusiasm, <laughs> I don't want it. Good job. Okay, so contentment is not wanting more. Contentment is also wanting what you have. So if you got that old little RCA, you know, TV sitting on the countertop, you know, with the little rabbit ears, you look at that thing every day and say, I want my TV. You walk out to your car and it's falling apart and you say, God, I want my car. Why? Because God's given it to you. You needed a bigger TV, a nicer car. If you needed those things, guess what? God would have given them to you. You don't need to win the lotto. If you did, God would have given it to you. The fact that he hasn't says that you don't need it. And in fact, it would not be good for you because God gives us that which we need and that which is good for us like a loving father does. If you don't have it, you don't need it. So contentment is not wanting more, It's wanting what I have. Jesus says that life does not consist of our possessions. Hebrews 13, five and six is similar. It says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I want you to see the contrast here. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content, those things are exclusive. If you are not content, then you love money. If you are content, you don't love money. If you love money, you will never be content because as Ecclesiastes says, he who loves money never has enough. First Timothy six, eight is similar. It says this, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. How many of you have food and clothing? Just out of curiosity, just, just show of hands. How many of you are content? You don't have to raise your hands on that one. <clears throat> Can I get really practical? The more you watch TV, the more stuff you will want. The more you surf the web, the more stuff you will want. The more you look at catalogs and magazines, the more stuff you will want. The more time you spend in the mall, the more stuff you will want. Why? Because all those things are oriented towards driving home the message to you, you need this stuff. You gotta have this stuff. And if this is a problem for you, stay away from those things. Don't allow those messages in that say you cannot be content with what you've got. You gotta have something more. Can I get even more practical? If you have revolving consumer debt that carries over from month to month that you're paying interest on, you think things can make you happy and you are not a content person now you know that I tell you this because I love you right if you were content you wouldn't have to spend money that you don't have to get stuff that you really don't need okay if you were content you wouldn't have to borrow money to buy stuff God provides for you all that you need And this is a serious problem in our society. You know, the average 28-year-old has $60,000 of consumer debt. That's consumer, that's bad debt. That's not mortgage debt, okay? That's car loans, student loans, credit card loans, consumer loans, $60,000. That's astounding to me by the time they're 28 years old. Put furniture on credit, they put everything on credit. 35 million Americans pay only the minimum balance on their credit card. Do you know that if you pay the minimum balance on your credit card, it will take you 28 years to pay it off? And that's more than 10% of the population paying the minimum payments on credit cards. This is serious stuff. Crown Ministries estimates that the average person in our country is three weeks or three paychecks away from bankruptcy. This is serious stuff. This is an epidemic that we're in. So I tell you this because I love you. You cannot experience the freedom of Christ when you're in bondage to credit cards. Proverbs says, and I don't have this one up on the screen, it says the rich rules over the poor. The borrower is, becomes the lender's slave. So, you know, real clear, the Bible does not say thou shalt not borrow money. It does say, if you borrow money, you will become the slave of the person that loaned it to you. And if you borrow money at 20% on a credit card, you will really be a serious slave to the people that loaned you that money, okay? Christ came to set us free. Why would we enter into financial bondage? If you're in this situation, you know, I mean, if you, I'm not down on credit cards. If you got a credit card, you pay it off every month and you just use it for the convenience, you know, that's not a problem. But if you're not paying off the balances and you're using it to buy stuff that you can't afford, there's a problem. And if you're in that situation, there's only one solution. It's plastic surgery. (laughs) And so I brought my favorite financial tool um, with me to illustrate how this works. Um, This is the problem. This is the solution. It works like this. And this is going to hurt me a lot more than it hurts you. And the problem is solved. Okay? Now we can start paying cash for stuff. We can start buying things only that we can afford because nobody's going to take that. That's done. Um, I seriously, if if you've got a problem with this, we'll be up here afterwards, me and the tool. We'll be up here. We'd be happy to help you. I will loan this to anybody who needs it. I, I believe in loaning out my tools, and this is this is a really good one. Uh, one more practical piece of advice. You are not a wise and contented person if you are not saving for the future. Proverbs 21:20 says, the wise man saves for the future. This is one of my this is one of my favorite verses. The wise man saves for the future, but Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. That's the New English translation, okay? Now read that one more time. The wise man saves for the future, but stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Now, you know that I wouldn't say that to you, right? I mean, I'm too nice of a guy to say that, but scripture says it. It's right there. So if you are going to be a wise and contented person, you will be saving for the future. That's what the Bible says, okay? These principles work. Big line number two. First is money will make me happy. Secondly, money will make me secure. You know, it's funny, some of the wealthiest people are some of the most insecure people that you'll ever meet, And I can tell you that from firsthand experience. Um, You know, a lot of you are sitting here and you've had the thought at some point in your life, I won't make you admit it, but you've had this thought, if I just had a million dollars in an investment account for retirement, I would be secure. You've had that thought, right? I I know, I can tell. I see those heads. I see those heads. Nobody else does, but I see them. And, And you've had that thought. And I could introduce you to 20 or 30 people in that situation who are so insecure that you would not even believe it. I have a client who, you know, this woman uh, retired as a a senior financial executive of a a big company, has a pension of $60,000 a year, plus social security, a couple of million dollars in an investment account, and she is one of the most frightened, scared, insecure people you will ever meet. And she tries to control, you know, she wants to trust her money. And it just keeps screaming at her, you are not in control. So would you just turn to the person to your left and right right now and just say, I am not in control. Would you just do that? Just just, just share that with somebody. You'll feel much better. There. Feel better? Good, good, we are not in control. First Timothy 6.17 says this, command those who are rich, and may I just pause here, we live in one of the wealthiest communities in the wealthiest country on earth. So I'm gonna guess that many of us would be included in this category of those who are rich. It's a little bit different than Obama's definition. Um, but I would say that the majority of us here are rich this morning. And so this is written to you. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is what? So unreliable. But to put their hope in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Do not put your trust in riches. It is so unreliable. If the last two years didn't teach us anything, it taught us the unreliability of wealth. And Jesus was right. The moths come in and the rust decays and it goes away. Trust God. You know, Proverbs 18, 11 says this, the rich think their wealth is a secure defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. So rich people do. You know, God knows that the hardest thing to get from a rich person is their heart. Because... The wealthier we are, the more we want to trust in our wealth. And just like these folks, the wealth think that their wealth is just a high wall. Nobody can break this down. Nobody can touch it. And it's fleeting, and it's not secure. And probably many of you in this room know someone who was very wealthy and now isn't. I know lots of them. Wealth is so uncertain. I believe that for us, for the majority of us, the number one spiritual battle that you will face every day is the battle of whether to trust God or trust money, trust things, trust your stuff. It just is. We just struggle with it. We want to believe that money makes us secure. And God clearly tells us that it doesn't. There's a a great passage, probably Jesus' most extended passage, talking about money in Luke chapter 12. And I invite you to just take out your Bibles and turn there if you brought your own Bible. That's great. You might want to make a couple notes in the margin. If you didn't, there's a Bible in front of you um, underneath the seat. Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 13. And it says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, so Jesus is walking along, he's got this huge crowd of people come along with him. And someone said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Fairly simple. And Jesus could have just turned to the brother and said, hey, divide the inheritance. It's the right thing to do. And he could have been done. But he drills down a little bit deeper, actually a lot deeper with this guy. He says, man, who appointed me as a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to him, watch out. Be on your guard against every form of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told this parable. It's a familiar parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop and he thought to himself, what shall I do since I got all this stuff? He said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns and then I will store all my grain and my goods. If you have your own Bible, circle that word all. Don't have to do it if you have the church Bible, but uh, if you have your own Bible, circle the word all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. The dream of Southern Californians, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, On this very night, your life will be demanded of you. And then who will get all that you prepared for yourself? This is how it is with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. He goes on to tell them, consider the birds of the air and God feeds them. They don't work all day long and slave in the office. God feeds them and consider the flowers of the field. God clothes them in rich splendor better than the most well-dressed person on earth. God takes care of them. And you are so much more important than they are. He then says in verse 32, do not be afraid little flock for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want you to see here, Jesus does not answer this guy the way that he expected, right? He expected a simple answer. Yeah, you're right, you should get 50% of the inheritance. And instead, in front of everybody, Jesus looks at him and he says, you're greedy. Essentially, paraphrased. He says, watch out. Be on guard against every form of greed. You know, one thing we find out here is there's multiple types of greed. There's lots of forms of it. And God says, Jesus says to this man, watch out, be on guard against every form of greed. I'm sure this guy didn't think he was greedy. You know, he just wanted his fair share, right? But the first thing that a greedy person believes is that money will satisfy. The inheritor thinks that satisfaction comes from accumulating wealth. The The farmer's greedy. You know, he never thought about anybody other than himself. He says, you know, I'm big, I'm huge. I did all this myself. It's my company. And he built these barns to store what? All of his grain. He didn't give any of it away. He didn't share any of it. He put all of his grain in storage. He wasn't generous with what he had. He was greedy. The second thing a greedy person believes is that money will provide security. It'll keep me safe. And that's where Jesus finishes the story with the birds of the air and the flowers of the field that God is the one who provides security. It is not our money. And see the problem here and the reason Jesus has to come and say, watch out, be on guard. Is it because greedy people don't think they're greedy? These people didn't think they were greedy. You know, if you, if you lie, you pretty much know you lied. If you steal something, <laughs> you took it home. It's like, yeah, I stole, I stole that, you know? If you get angry, you know that you're angry. But greedy people don't know that they're greedy. I mean, who's the, who's the last person to know that they're singing off key in the choir? Huh? Who's the last person to know that they had a little bit too much to drink at the party? Who's the last person to know that they're greedy? So if you're t- sitting here thinking, well, I'm not greedy, it's not looking too good for you. Jesus says, watch out, be on guard for this because greedy people do not experience God's grace. Look, if you've gone through the last few years and you, know, you, you are just thankful what God has given to you and you thank him every day for all the things that that he's provided you know you're not greedy if you've been able to say every day God you are so good to me and and your provision is is just more than I ever would have expected you're a thankful person and you're not a greedy person but greedy people are obsessed with what they've lost or what they don't have or what's gonna happen in, to them in the future. Thankful people are just thankful for what God has given to them. And the solution for the greedy person, look at verse 33. It says, sell your possessions and give them to the poor. And you're saying, aha, I knew that was coming. You guys at church, you're always telling me to sell all of my stuff and become Mother Teresa. And you know, Who wants to sell all of their stuff and give it to the poor, you know? Well, I want you to to see here, Jesus does not say, sell all your possessions. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. The contrast here is not between rich and poor. He's not saying you're rich, I want you to become poor. He never says that. The contrast is between greed and generosity. He says a generous person is willing to share. A generous person will sell what they have to give it to the poor, to give it to people who are in need. It's the heart of the generous person that God is after. Jesus wants us to trust in him and yet we want so much to trust in our stuff. You know, being generous with your possessions is a way of demonstrating, number one, your thankfulness to God for his generosity. And number two, it's a way of demonstrating that you trust God to provide for you. When we give, it demonstrates where our heart is. And that's what Jesus said at the end of this passage. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, we kind of think it should be the opposite, right? Where your heart is, there your treasure is. Stuff that you like, you're gonna give to that. You have a good purpose, you're gonna give to those things. Jesus turns that around. He says, where you give, your heart will follow. You give first, your heart follows. Generous people give first, And it changes your heart. The act of giving um, to to the needy changes your heart. The act of being generous reveals who you are. Well, lie number three, I own it. So money can make me happy. Money can make me secure. Number three, I own it. What's the first word out of a two-year-old's mouth? Mine. Nobody had to think twice about that one, right? It's my toy. It's my candy. It's my BMW. You know, it's mine. And Jesus says, it is so not yours. Um, It belongs to me. Everything belongs to God. The Bible is very clear. You know, the psalmist uses the word picture that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. In Haggai, God says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord Almighty. I own it all. You remember the parable where the master goes away on a trip and he has three servants and he divvies up some of his stuff and he gives some to each of the servants. Now, it wasn't a permanent gift. He was just asking them to manage these things while he was gone. And he goes away and when he comes back, he judges them based on how they managed his stuff. And Jesus says, this is an illustration of how we are with God. He has simply entrusted us with some stuff that belongs to him to manage for him in his best interest. He's always the owner. And if he's the owner, what does that make us? We're just managers. We're just managing the stuff that he has. And what a different outlook or a different attitude than, you know, I own it. It's mine. It's gonna be the source of my security. In fact, if you treat it as it's yours, you just, you won't be able to trust God. Matthew, 20, or Matthew 6, 24 says this. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, right? So you've got a choice. You either treat your stuff like it belongs to God and like you're a manager, and you can demonstrate love for God and trust for God, or you treat it like it's yours, like it's your possessions and it's in your control, and you act like the greedy farmer who says, I'm just gonna hang on to what I've got and eat, drink, and be merry. There's no such thing as a stingy person who trusts God. There just isn't. Because God has a generous heart. And if we're managing his money, we will manage it with a generous heart. The characteristic of somebody who recognizes that God owns it all is the opposite of the greedy person. It's someone who is generous. Look at First uh, Timothy 6.19. 6, 19. It says, command those who are rich in the present world, and we read the beginning of this earlier, not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation in the coming age, and they will take hold of life that is truly life. Now, check this out. We're all commanded to be good, right? But the rich are commanded to do good. And how do they do good? By being generous and willing to share. That's how we do good. And what happens as a result of us being generous and willing to share. We have a firm foundation. You see, it's the opposite of of what would be intuitive. It's the opposite of people around us believe because they believe if I just hang on to it, that's gonna be my firm foundation. We believe if we're generous with it, if we give it away, if we treat it as it's not even our money, it's God's money and we're just faithful managers, we're generous and we give. And that creates a firm foundation. It's just exactly the opposite of what we would think. I love the, the last sentence in that, uh, in that paragraph. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You know, God's life is truly life. And we tend to think it consists of the abundance of possessions and it doesn't. We get blinded by that and so we need God's truth. We need God's truth to come in and to counteract the lies. You know, money will never make you happy because he who loves money will never have enough. Money will never make you secure because it is so uncertain. And money, man, God owns it. We come into the world with nothing and we leave this world with nothing we get to manage some stuff in between, and it is never ours. One last thing before we close. This morning is about God talking to you. Okay? It, the easiest thing in the world, especially in this area, is to become judgmental, to look at other people, to apply this message to somebody else. man. They shouldn't have that, that house. He shouldn't drive that car. She must spend an awful lot of money on shoes. You know? <clears throat> we, just, we just do. It's just the kind of people that we are. And you know what? None of your business. That kind of thinking just comes from, from envy and from jealousy and has no place in the church. So I want you to think about what does God want to say to you this morning? How does God want you to change the way that you deal with money? How does he want you to trust him? For some, your decision is pretty easy. You know, you're gonna look at this and say, you know what, I need to be a more generous person, or I need to start giving faithfully and regularly, or You know, I I need to pay off my consumer debt and you can do that. I need to be a good steward of what God's given me. For others, it's not so easy. Some of you have bought into the lie and you've dug yourself into a financial hole and you're not experiencing the freedom that God would want you to experience. And it's hard and you're gonna need some help. You're gonna need somebody to come alongside and to help you. And we wanna be able to provide those resources as well. So if you would, if you're in that situation and, and you just need some help with this stuff and you've dug yourself into a hole and been believing the lie, you can just, you know, email the church office. We'll keep everything totally confidential. We wouldn't share that with anybody, but that will come to me and um, I'll try to hook you up with some resources. We'll try to get you some help. We'll try to get you some resources that can really help you and move you forward in this thing because Christ came, you know, said it was for freedom that I set you free. And we wanna be free in every area of our life. If you're consumed with money, if you're tied up, you'll never experience that freedom. And I don't care how many times you go to church or how many times you pray, you can go to 15 Bible studies a week, you will not experience God's blessing if you're in financial bondage. So reach out and get some help if you need to. And we would be lo- we'd love to be a resource to you in that. Um, let's just pray. Father, you are so practical with us. Um, I thank you for that. That our natural tendency is to be scared, our natural tendency is to hoard, our natural tendency is to think that it's ours, to trust in money, to think it's going to make us happy. And God, I thank you that your light, that your word, shines light on those lies. Father, help us to root those out. Help us to watch out, to be on guard, to look at our own lives. Help every person here right now to dig down and allow your spirit to to penetrate and to search our hearts, Lord. Where are we greedy? Where are we trusting money? Where are we not trusting you? We said at the beginning, what you really want, Lord, is our trust. And so God, we come to you now. We trust you We commit to allow your spirit to change our lives and to transform us into people who trust and depend completely on you. And we love you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen.